Last Sunday morning, we began a new series of studies on the life of Jacob, and I entitled it, Jacob, God's Wee Rascal. And if you were with us last Sunday morning, I mentioned the fact that my family would tell you when I was growing up, I was a wee rascal. I would have to agree, and I certainly wasn't God's wee rascal when I was growing up, and the sense of mischievousness is still alive and well in me, and I mentioned that last Sunday. And as we continue with our studies in Jacob, we're going to see Jacob who last Sunday morning, and I'm going to tell you a little more about the handover between the earlier chapter 28 into chapter 29, where Jacob had to leave his family home. He deceived his father, he stole from his brother, and he left to go to his uncle's home in Haran, some 500 miles away. And 3,000 years ago, a journey of 500 miles was a long way. And in the first part of chapter 29, we discover that Jacob arrives with his uncle. He meets his uncle. His uncle's family take him in to live with him. But Jacob falls in love with his uncle's daughter called Rachel. And so that's the contextual backdrop to our passage this morning. So let's begin Genesis 29, and we're reading from about halfway through verse 14. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban, who was the uncle, said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. And so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is complete. I want to lie with her. And so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpha to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. And so Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. And Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. I suspect most of us enjoy a good story. And as we come to the Old Testament book of Genesis, 
and continue to explore the life of Jacob. It is for us a fascinating story. It's filled with truths that were applicable not simply 3,000 years ago, but also today in a 21st century setting. The story of Jacob is one of the most fascinating and instructive stories to be found anywhere in the Old Testament. It is a story of jealousy, power, intrigue, loneliness, love, and romance, deception, bribery, threats of murder and violence, manipulation, and control. And a number of those themes we saw in last Sunday's study. But we also see this. Here we see God dealing lovingly and graciously with Jacob in a way that will profoundly affect him, shake him to the very core of his being, and help shape him into the man he was to become. Because there's more to Jacob than first meets the eye. It is the account of a man alone with God, in the dark, facing the inward hidden issues of the soul and made sharply aware of the presence and power of God. It is not merely Jacob's outward circumstances which trouble his mind, but the spiritual realities behind them. Now, let me say that once again, because that's crucially important, not simply for last week, this week, or next week. It is not merely Jacob's outward circumstances which trouble his mind, but the spiritual realities behind them. This is a story that we're attracted to because we can see in Jacob ourselves. We identify with him. He, grows, he goes through experiences that we can see ourselves going through. He grows in ways we see ourselves growing. It is a story for those who struggle and stumble and fumble in their faith. It is a story about a man full of good intentions, but never quite seems to get there unless he's struggling and stumbling and fumbling. Jacob is more prodigal than prodigy. I suspect Jacob, quite honestly, and I wouldn't say this to too many people, but I have to tell you, I think Jacob would be more content at happy hour than watching Hallmark. That's how Jacob strikes me. And finally, he goes through breakthrough moments and then breakdowns. Two steps forward, three steps back. That in many ways is Jacob. And Jacob also teaches us this, and we've touched on this in previous Sundays, so please forgive me. It's been a while, but the principle is the same. That there is no such thing as being instantly mature, intellectually astute, morally flawless, and spiritually wise. A model of consistency and uninhibited faith. It simply does not work like that. Because what we're about to see with Jacob is true for each of us. Last Sunday morning, we finished by focusing on 
Jacob, having deceived his father, stolen from his brother, fled the family home penniless and homeless, no future, no hope, nowhere to go, was heading in the direction of his uncle in Haran. And God reveals himself to Jacob. And he does it in a spectacular fashion. He does it in the midst of a dream. And Jacob, for the first time in his life, begins to understand the reality of the love and grace of God. Because here is Jacob fast asleep and God reveals himself to him in a dream. And Jacob understands what's happening at that point. He gets it. He understands that this place, and in fact, the scriptures tell us, if you were with us last week, you'll remember, describes it as this. When he reached a certain place, is the definite article, bamakum is the word. When he reached that place, God showed up. And Jacob realized that here was the eternal interacting with the temporary, the sacred, and the secular were taking place right there. And here was Jacob so impacted that when he woke up the next morning, he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. When the Old Testament describes the physical manifestation of God, it's called a theophany. And for Jacob, the theophany becomes an epiphany. He realizes what has happened. And remember who this is. Remember, this is Jacob. Jacob, who when he was a wee boy, would say to his parents and grandparents, tell me about the time when God did this or that or the other, when he placed his hand on Grandma Sarah and gave him my dad. Tell me how he answered your prayer. Tell me how he was leading and guiding, directing you through your life. Tell me how he saves you from multiple events. And that young boy with a growing, blossoming faith, as the years went by, began to hold his faith at arm's length, began to opt out. Prayer was no longer taken seriously. Oh, sure, he was involved with all of the religious affairs of the family, but it was meaning less and less and less and less. And now God had touched the heart of Jacob. Surely the Lord was in this place. And towards the end of the chapter, we see a slight turn in the life of Jacob. But it's not a turn in terms of moving forward. In fact, it's a little stepping back. Jacob, remember, full of good intentions, three steps forward, two steps back. At the end of the passage, we read this. If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. 
Now, why is that a step backwards? Surely here is Jacob recognizing the hand of God in his life. Surely he heard God saying to him, I am a covenant God to you. You will be my people. I will be your God. And we touched on all of that last week. But notice how the passage begins. It begins, if God will be with me. Now, slow down. Look at it again. If. Do you see it? Right at the beginning. If God will be with me, if he will watch over me, if he will give me food to eat, if he will give me clothes to wear, if I return safely, if, 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 if. Here is Jacob who just had the most intense, life-transforming experience with God, recognizing the reality of it, but then takes two steps backwards and begins to haggle with God. If you give me food to eat, if you are with me on this journey, if you will bring me back home, he's treating God like some merchant in the market on a Saturday morning when he's bartering for camels and sheep. Here was Jacob, the great deceiver, going back to what he knew best. And now God is saying, Jacob, you have a long way to go, not just to get to your uncle in Haran, but Jacob, I need to begin to peel back and strip away those old habits, attitudes, behavior patterns. And Jacob, I am going to take you on that journey and I will walk alongside you. And Jacob, at times I will bless you beyond measure, but at other times I will force you to your knees till you understand what is going on. Jacob, I am not some genie in a magic lamp where as long as you say the right words and the right things, I will grant you three wishes. Jacob, I'm not some heavenly ATM machine. As long as you punch in the right numbers, you will get a response. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jacob had stepped back. And God was saying, Jacob, I love you too much to let you become the man you used to be, the one who'd opted out, the one to act with apathy and indifference. Jacob, you're too important to me, and I love you too much to leave you where you once were. Jacob, I'm focused on who you are becoming. And so Jacob Unaware of all of this, some of it he's conscious of, others not, he begins to set out for his uncle in Haran. But before we get there, let me ask you a question. It's one thing to look at Jacob and say, here was Jacob haggling with God, bartering with God. Ever found yourself doing the same thing? Ever found yourself saying, Lord, if you will only give me this house that I have put a contract on, I will never ask for anything again. And when I tuck the children and grandchildren into bed at night, I promise I will read to them Bible stories and I'll pray with them and I'll look after them and I'll bring them to church. If only you will give me this house. 
If only you will give me this new job. It's the promotion I was expecting. I have the skill set. I'm gifted in this area. If only you will give me, give me, give me. I will do this, 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 this. I promise I will change. I promise I'll make a significant difference in my life. I promise I'll put you front and center. I promise my prayer life will go to all sorts of new levels. How's that working out for you so far? Ever been there? Tried it? That's why we identify with Jacob. And so Jacob eventually arrives at Haran. It's taken him several weeks. He couldn't get a phone signal and he couldn't work out the GPS on his smartphone. So he drifted a little on the way there. I just threw that in because some of you were glazing over and now you're thinking, wait a minute, how did he get to GPS from Jacob? Ask after the service. You'll find out. And he arrives in Haran. He meets his uncle Laban. He meets uncle Laban's sister, Rachel. And he falls in love with Rachel. And I wonder if Jacob thought to himself, after the promise of Bethel, God has now provided a wife for me. I wonder if he thought, I now have a home with my uncle Laban, because in the early verses of the chapter, Laban says to him, come, live with us. And then his uncle Laban says to him, I know you're a relative, but it doesn't feel right not paying you a salary of some kind for all the work you're doing. Help me here. What would be a reasonable salary for you? And I wonder if Laban, if Jacob goes back, if God will be with me. And he begins to feel and sense the hand of God was at work. And then Laban and Jacob begin to negotiate over his salary. And I wonder if just in the back of his mind, Jacob begins to realize, wait a minute, Normally, a shepherd would have about 10 shekels a year, normally pay the family 40, 50 shekels for a daughter. Uh, that would be about four or five years' work. And then he begins to negotiate with Laban. And eventually, they settle on Jacob paying approximately the value of seven years of work. And we have this wonderful passage that says, for Jacob, working those seven years only seemed like a few days. He loved her that much. And we read that and we think, oh, isn't that so romantic? Isn't that nice? Jacob had fallen in love. His prayers were being answered. God had provided a wife. His future was clear. Life was exciting. He couldn't wait to see what was coming next. And then Jacob, and this again is my imagination, learns what all young men learn when they fall in love. And of course, when a young man falls in love, he thinks of his new girlfriend, his fiancée, and he imagines her smile 
and her hair and how she looks and when they will meet next and where they will go that night and what they will do and can't wait to spend time together. Absolutely smitten, besotted. Young men do such a thing. And then young men also discover that the girl they have fallen in love with behaves that way when she sees a new pair of shoes. Can't wait to try them on and examines the color and the texture and will try them with different outfits and stand for hours in front of the mirror and envisage people saying, gosh, I love your shoes. Where did you get them? Now, for all of my silliness, Jacob had fallen in love with Rachel. And after seven years, Jacob says to Laban, we're ready to be married, and there's a great feast, whole several days, in fact, of feasting. And the morning after the marriage ceremony, Jacob wakes up and discovers that he has been married to Leah and not Rachel. What on earth is going on? And he comes to Laban and says, you deceived me. Why did you do this? You've known for the past seven years. What were you thinking? And Laban says, well, our custom is we don't marry the youngest daughter before the oldest, but I'm happy to give you Rachel if you work another seven years. And Jacob, the great deceiver, Jacob, the manipulator, Jacob, who deceived his father, stole from his brother, has now met his match in Laban. And the question is this, why? Why doesn't God sovereignly, providentially, simply allow Jacob to marry Rachel and move on with his life? Because God, in the midst of the bad, atrocious behavior of Laban, uses those circumstances to teach Jacob. And what is he teaching him? He's teaching him this. Jacob, you're not ready yet. Jacob, the old man you used to be is gradually gradually, slowly dissolving into the background. But Jacob, I am still peeling away the layers. Those attitudes, behavior pattern, thinking process. Jacob, I am making you Christ-like day by day by day. And Jacob, in order to be there, you have to learn patience you have to learn perseverance. Jacob, you have to grow up in your faith. You have to become mature in your faith. And Jacob was about to learn that at times God makes us wait. There are seasons when He keeps us in the dark. Days when He makes us walk when we want to run and sit when we want to walk. And there are moments when he is at work 
deep within us, refining and shaping us as He takes the time necessary to develop us in the hidden recesses of the soul. Folks, there are no shortcuts with God. When He goes to work, He goes to work comprehensively in an exhaustive manner. He reaches deep inside and He removes from us the old man and He grants to us new appetites and new motivations and He begins to change us and strip away. Now, please understand what I'm saying here because I'm not sure some of you have it yet. When you are waiting upon God, it is not a case of simply sitting back, folding your legs, and twiddling your thumbs. That's apathy. That's indifference. That's a laissez-faire approach to your faith. But what God is teaching Jacob is this, that while you are waiting, who are you becoming? That's the point he's teaching Jacob. And he's teaching Jacob to move to the next level in his prayer life. He's teaching Jacob to move to the next level in intimacy and a profound dependency on God. He is shaping and peeling away and fashioning Jacob to the man he's called him to be, to those hidden recesses of the soul. That's what's taking place here. And I wonder if over the last few months you've found yourself in the position of saying, why is God not answering my prayer? Why is He not giving me what I asked for? Why is He not interacting with my life? And it may well be that He is stripping you of old habits, behavior patterns, and turning you into the man or woman of God he's calling you to be. Now, I need to stop because we're getting awfully close to the end of the service and a congregational meeting. And some of you are already asking, and in fact, you're ahead of me on this, and you're saying, okay, Richard, I see you folding up. I see you getting ready to stop, but I have one question. And Richard, my question is this. What about Leah? What happened to her? We've focused on Laban. We've, in fact, focused on Jacob's parents and his brothers. We've also focused on Jacob and Rachel. But what happens to Leah? She's been badly treated. Rightly, she absolutely has been badly treated. She is unloved by her new husband. It's a disgrace what happened to Leah. But in the midst of it all, Please understand this, that God was not just finished with Jacob or Rachel. He likewise was not finished with Leah. Leah would go on to have several children, one of them named Judah. And at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we read of a man called Judah, whose descendant would be a wee boy growing up in Bethlehem called David, who would be Israel's greatest king. And David's ancestor would be a certain carpenter from Nazareth. And Leah, atrociously treated, yes, unloved by her husband, of course, forgotten by God, uh-uh, not quite. She was to become the ancestor of Christ. 
And so we see the grace of God cascading again from one generation to another to another. He delights in working with the lost cause. He delights in working with those who have opted out. He delights in working with those who are apathetic. He delights in shaping and changing and fashioning them and lighting a fire within them. And so this week, as you go into a new week, our prayer might well be, Father, in the midst of my waiting, change me. Show me who I'm becoming. Refine me and fashion me and bring to pass your purpose and will in my life. Why? Quite simply, because each of us are His wee rascals. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture this morning, and thank You for everything it teaches us. Be with us, please, this week. Bless us, encourage us, strengthen us, and enable us above all things to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.